Hello and good morning, evening or afternoon, depending on when you are listening to this latest Susty Talk interview from Edie. For those unfamiliar with Susty Talks, these are our series of interviews that we've been doing with sustainability leaders around the world to help keep us all a little bit more connected. Um, and we started with that mission in early 2020, just as the UK was going into lockdown. And we're delighted to be continuing this month. That's March 2023 for Edie's Business Leadership Month. And I'm delighted to have on our Susty Talk today, James Payne, who is the Global Strategic Lead for Purpose of Business at Forum for the Future. Um, Forum for the Future are actually joining ED as one of our new strategic partners. So great to connect with you today, James. How are you doing? I'm really well, Sarah. Thanks for having me. No, thanks for coming on. And yeah, who better to talk to about business leadership um, than someone that's working on how businesses can lead systemic transformations, right? So for those listening who are unfamiliar with Forum for the Future, James, I think it'd be great to start with an introduction to who you guys are and, and, um, and what you work on. Uh, sure. So uh, Forum for the Future is a leading international sustainability nonprofit. Uh, we've got teams in uh, a few different regions in, in North America, here in Europe, in India and in Southeast Asia. And um, our mission is to kind of accelerate the transition to, to what we call a just and regenerative future. Uh, we're probably best known for uh, not just, I guess, our deep uh, sustainability technical knowledge, but how we sort of use applied futures to sort of unlock change and also our focus on systems change and, and sort of how to genuinely, I guess, effectively engage with the really complex sustainability challenges we face. And we've been around for almost a quarter of a century now. We were founded way back in 1996. And I guess as a nonprofit, we, we were sort of unusual in that we weren't an activist nonprofit. So we were sort of set up to work um, in partnership with business, government and civil society. Um, so we, we typically sort of partner with organisations and, and play a sort of a critical friend role. So bringing in that voice of civil society and bringing in our expertise. Um, so, for example, we've been a key partner of Unilever's for over 20 years and really helped with both their sustainable living plan and uh, the more recent sort of uh, Unilever compass. Um, and we've just launched a new strategy at the start of this year, and it really focuses on enabling um, what we call deep and urgent transitions in three areas. So the transition in the purpose of business and society and the economy, a transition in the food system and the transition in the energy, the renewable energy system. Got it. And how long have you been um, been with Forum? What was your route into into your role? Yeah, I've been here almost four years now, uh, which is actually relatively short by Forum standards. A lot of people have been here for years and years. And um, so um, my, my background, uh, I worked in sustainability consulting um, before uh, joining Forum and actually began my career in industry in, in marketing of all things. Um, so I've, I've, I've been in the belly of the beast in terms of sort of big sort of international sort of um, uh, matrixed uh, businesses and uh, but also sort of worked across lots of different sectors in my consulting career. Um, but, you know, it's been incredible having the opportunity at Forum to really um, build out sort of my sort of my, my, my systems thinking skills. Um, my, my applied future skills and, and really have the chance to work with some incredibly trailblazing organizations, the, the sorts of organizations that tend to, to work with us. Um, I, I, I've done a lot of work around strategy. So I led our work, for example, on the Diageo 2030 um, sustainability strategy. Um, we do a lot of work as well around um, educating and sort of supporting um, executive teams. So recently led some work with a top five global retailer around that. 
And uh, we do a lot of work with advisory boards too. So for example, I helped to sort of set up advisory boards for um, um, Mondelez and the Irish Food Board. So sort of really, really varied. And um, it's very, I guess it's exciting, particularly with our new strategy at the start of the start, kicking off at the start of this year to, to be really focusing in on um, the purpose of business transition and um, having the, I guess, the mandate to sort of really push that, that ahead. I wanted to ask really how you go about developing a strategy to transform these really entrenched global systems. From what I understand, even coming up with a corporate strategy to navigate this is amazing. And you say that you've been working on your systems thinking skills. Mine definitely could use some work. If there was a teacher, they probably say could do better. Um, so where on earth do you start in developing a strategy to transform the world, essentially? Yeah, it's a... <laughs> Um, it's uh, it's certainly uh, no, no small no small task. Um, yeah, I, I guess um, I guess it does. We believe that it has to start with systems thinking and and system change. So um, you know, being able to sort of uh, grapple with sort of uncertainty and complexity and being comfortable with that is really important. So you know you know realizing that you you don't have that there isn't like a really simple sort of uh, silver bullet answer is probably the first like really important step that you need to take. Um, so we typically begin with what we call a systemic diagnosis. So really using our systems thinking tool to get to get to, get to a really deep understanding of the challenges and the interconnections and really to sort of try to understand some of the structural uh, root causes of challenges. So not just engaging with the kind of the symptoms or at a very like superficial level, but really understanding the kind of the history, the interrelations, the sort of uh, underlying drivers that are sort of at the root or, or, or that, that that are kind of, that, that, um, yeah, underpinning the challenge. Um, but then obviously that can be overwhelming. So what's important is to not just stop there, but to really think about the kind of key leverage points um, within the system where intervening will have the most impact, where where you can kind of catalyze um, the, the, the most action by, by, by kind of intervening there. And within the, our work around um, the three transitions that I mentioned, we've identified what we call activation areas. So we're we're a relatively small nonprofit. There's sort of 80 of us in our our, our four different um, teams across the world, and um, we we really need to focus in as an organisation on where we can make the most difference. The other thing that I think is really important is to have a very clear guiding star that you're working towards and a clear vision, a kind of a positive, inspiring vision that you're working towards. And particularly when you're dealing with really thorny sustainability challenge, so challenges. So our, our vision at Forum is a, is a sort of socially just and, and regenerative future, which is really thinking about sort of a fair, thriving, um, sort of livable future for, for, for everyone. And, and if that's the sort of if you're clear about that's the sort of outcome that you're working towards, that would probably mean that you're sort of taking very different actions if that's what you're working towards than if you're just sort of trying to sort of sustain the status quo or sort of kind of keep things trundling along, sustaining kind of uh, the systems as they are currently. Um, and also, I guess that's where sort of futures thinking becomes really helpful, because if that's the vision and the future you're working towards, you can then kind of backcast from that. Um, and then work out sort of what, how differently you might need to do things in order to make that sort of positive, hopeful, a desirable future possible. Got it. And and you mentioned there that yeah, getting past the overwhelm and the uncertainty and the complexity means essentially identifying your leverage points. And I wanted to ask, in your work with business, are there any leverage points that businesses commonly underestimate or overlook where they could have? Um, an influence. 
so I think the, the sorts of some of the leverage points we're focusing on, on, on four key kind of leverage points or activation areas. And some of them, I think, will be very familiar to any listeners. So uh, we've got a, a big focus. One activation area is around rethinking value chains. And I'm sure most people listening to this will be struggling with, um, you know, social impact, scope three in their value chains, how on earth they influence sort of complex, often impenetrable value chains. But I think what we think is needed there is, is not just sort of a slightly better than before kind of approach to value chains, but really a fundamental transformation of how risk and value is shared across value chains and um, a, a kind of a, a new models and new business models and market mechanisms for delivering that. So that's one big area which I think would be really familiar. Um, another another area we think is key is reimagining consumption. So really thinking about how how businesses engage with uh, topics like the circular economy, how we can decouple uh, finite resource use from um, enabling a good life for um, you know everyone on, on the planet. Um, but we also think it's not just about business models, but uh, and sort of things like sharing economy dematerialization. It's also about cultural shifts and you know, rethinking uh, things like, you know, um, prioritizing well-being and what, what a good life looks like. And the third area is focusing in on sort of um, uh, inspiring visionary leadership. And I think this is maybe the, the, the slightly overlooked area, because I think a lot of the time people are jumping into sort of supply chain action or circular economy solutions or, you know, uh, thinking about their human rights policies and, and due diligence. And I think if you haven't got the mindset in your organization or particularly the mindset of your leaders aligned behind the level of transformation that's needed you won't get anywhere and i think this is often the bit where as a non-profit as forum we can we can kind of play a unique role in terms of playing that critical friend role uh, telling sort of somebody uncomfortable truths that a sustainability director you know it might not be good for their career to sort of be that blunt with their executive team or with their non-exec directors but we can often play that role very skillfully and i think you know setting out a kind of a, a hopeful positive vision but also being clear about just how much transformation is needed and the sorts of mindsets that are required and the final activation area that we're working on is you know businesses can't do this on their own and that's something we've really learned through our work with businesses you know, a few trailblazers aren't going to drive this sort of mainstreaming of this at the pace that's required. So we're also really interested in doing work with non-business actors driving change, particularly investors. So we worked recently with Aviva to set up the School of System Change for Finance and also, um, you know, looking at how accountability mechanisms can be transformational. So, you know, things in the past like science-based targets have often been about sort of defining the minimum amount of action that, that you could do in order for 1.5 degrees or 2 degrees to be possible. So really kind of almost incentivizing incrementalism um, rather than, you know, with, with the new science-based targets for nature, I think that transform element in there means that there's suddenly you've, you've got an accountability mechanism that's more designed for transformation. So I think how can uh, ESG and accountability mechanisms not just be a box ticking exercise, but actually unlock the, the level of change and, and systems change that's required? Got it. And as you say, it's important for non-business actors to come on to push people to go further, to on, unlock that journey beyond incrementalism, but probably also to make sure that this is just and regenerative. We see so many good partnerships in local areas, so I'm presuming there's there's work on that as well to make sure that this isn't solely a business-led transformation that everyone gets to say. Absolutely. Uh, in North America, we've been doing work around American climate futures, so engaging at a community level around 
like and enabling civil society to have a stronger voice with business around the kind of future that they want and a lot of work in our uh, energy transition as well around you know particularly in southeast in the philippines and india but also uh, in here in europe in in the uk we've been doing work in yorkshire at a community level uh, looking at what a just transition would mean for um a sort of uh, communities in yorkshire that's a really important part of the picture Got it. And I did want to take a step back to this visionary leadership that you mentioned, because I think that's a great term. Also, I feel like a couple of years ago, we kept hearing purpose of business, transform the purpose of business, have your North Star. But also there was some cynicism around this to the extent of what extent of businesses saying they're purpose led, what extent are they actually planning to deliver the level of transformation needed and operate in a transformed um, society. So I wanted to get your views on whether you think there is or has been a risk that this has been a buzzword or a greenwashing opportunity in the past. Yeah, I mean, I think there's kind of a fine line to be tread with trodden with sort of like with engaging with this because because I think um, particularly recently, I think some of the I mean, I think it's it's really important that businesses are held to account for, uh, you know, for greenwashing. Um, but I think there's also something about the level of transformation that's needed. Um, and it does require businesses to to sort of embrace challenges that they maybe don't know how to solve. And um, if we only try to solve challenges that we already have the answers for, we're not going to get to the level of system change that's required. So I think what we need is both sort of really sort of uh, like civil society really seeking to hold business to account where it's kind of really blatantly, um, you know, not the case. But also there's something about a business being able to step forward and say, you know, we know this is what is needed. We don't know how we're going to get there, but we're going to work really, really hard to make that happen. And I think as long as the business is kind of coming forward with credible actions to deliver that, then I think I think that's 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 what's needed. Um, for example, we worked with uh, Diageo, as I mentioned, on their 2030 sustainability strategy. And, um, you know, a lot of the technologies that would be required for them to achieve, for example, their decarbonisation goals, didn't exist or, or don't exist when we set the strategy back in 2019. But that didn't stop them setting up Diageo Sustainable Solutions and sort of setting out this open innovation challenges around the areas where they needed new solutions and new technology. And I think they announced just it was earlier this year that they're um, they're basically setting up the first uh, net zero bottling uh, plant um, uh, globally. I think it's here in the UK. And you know that's an example of just because that didn't exist when I set the strategy didn't mean that 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 like you know that I think it's probably the largest part of their carbon footprint is the the, the glass the glass bottle manufacture. So I think that's a really good example of you know if the greenwashing police might have come in in 2020 and said you don't have the technology to do this this is greenwashing. Whereas actually I mean as long as they're I mean as long as they're taking credible steps to to, to close that innovation gap, I think it's fine. Um, on the broader point of purpose, I think there's something about sort of just um, it kind of gets back to the mindset. And I do think that sometimes there can be a sort of quite a cynical mindset um, in businesses and in brands around, oh, we're, we're going to jump on the purpose bandwagon. And it's really just um, a kind of a, a risk mitigation exercise. Or it might even be, you know, might, there might genu genu genuinely be a aspiration to do some good. But sometimes the, the key thing that we that, that is kind of missing, I think, in 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 the mindsets that fall short of what's needed, is a, a really lack of understanding of of the, the 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 decade that we're heading into, and I think this is where applied futures is so important in really underlining why social justice and regeneration are so needed 
you know, like we know from the IPCC that a certain amount of climate breakdown is already locked in. And, you know, societal breakdown and, and sort of the, the sort of the, 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 some of the really dark futures that are potentially sort of we're, we're heading into and the, the level of the ongoing disruption that we believe is likely in businesses operating contexts into the decade ahead, uh, both positive and negative. So, we, you know, there are going to be lots of negative disruptions, but the pace at which technologies can scale, you know, can be exponential and much, much more quickly, uh, happen much more quickly than we anticipate. So I think there's something really about sort of, if you understand that you're facing into disruption, then I think that the, 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 the approach to purpose needs to be transformative. It can't just be a, a kind of a marketing exercise or a sort of a comms exercise or a positioning exercise. It needs to be about fundamental business transformation. Yeah, we hear a lot of the time, like, should it be called sustainability? Because what are we sustaining? <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think there's something about like, um, you know, when we're when we're engaging with businesses around purpose, um, we we often help organisations to define their purpose. So we recently, uh, with the top five uh, global retailer, helped them to, to sort of define their their new kind of change making purpose. And I think what's important is that it's um, we we use a process called the four C's of change making, which zooms in on you know is it credible, is it relevant, is it distinctive, and is it inspiring. And and you kind of get to you need to have a purpose that's a really strong purpose, I guess, to begin with. Uh, but then like having that statement is is sort of <laughs> the easy part in many ways. Like embedding it in the business is the challenge. And we we typically look at three domains. So we look at um, what we call hard governance. So really looking at the sort of tangible factors such as the business strategy, structure, policies, formal decision making. And I think that's typically the bit that gets most attention. The bit that is often neglected is what we call soft governance or, you know, really looking at sort of the leadership mindset, culture, communications, informal decision making, power dynamics. I think that is the bit where, where you know, you, businesses typically underestimate how important it is and, and, and neglect it. And that's where we, you know, where we've seen it happen successfully. It's often because that bit has been really tended to. And then the final area is, is in external engagement and being really clear about how purpose-led external engagement means the need for a step change in collaboration and advocacy, um, et cetera. So I think those are, you know, when we when we think about embedding, those are the three areas. And I think for any listeners, I think that that soft governance, that culture comes, um, you know, informal sort of grappling with that typically is the bit that I think businesses get wrong. Yeah, and it's where we see them getting called out as as well. You know, you see a business that states, oh, our, our purpose is a better future for people and planet. And then people will hear about employee mistreatment during the pandemic or um, people will look at the trade body that they're part of and how that's been lobbying and say, hang on, is the purpose statement just a purpose statement? That's something we've been seeing a lot more of. 100 percent it's it's um i, I think it's it, it, it's just um i think it's becoming less and less tenable for businesses to sort of like laminate the purpose but not live it i think it has to be really really lived and if it's not being lived um it's 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 actually like a, a massive reputational risk i think that that's the soundbite right there isn't it don't laminate it live it <laughs> So I think, James, I might wrap up our conversation there. Thank you so much for helping me dive into systems change in such a short amount of time. I'm I'm happy to have covered so much ground with you today. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Sarah. It's I've really enjoyed it.